That's some good stuff right there. I enjoyed that. All right. Take your Bibles. Turn over the book of Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. Some of you are waiting, aren't you? You're hoping I got something for you. I can feel it. I, I I, I left it in the office, though. Go get it. Yeah. <laughs> Hold that thought. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, I was trying to think of the one off the top of my head, but I, I'm terrible with that. That's why I've got to write everything down like that. But Luke chapter 5, verse 12 through 16. Maybe I'll hit you with a couple Wednesday. I don't know. We'll see. Can't guarantee it, though. You just have to come out and check, check it out and see. Well, I'll tell you what, how many of you liked those this morning in singles class, though? They were good, weren't they? Yeah, they, they were good. Ella says they were good. I got one hand. That's good. <clears throat> oh, they were. They were good today. All right, Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. We're going to go ahead and read through the, uh, about four or five verses here through verse 16. And so let's go ahead and read that together. Chapter 5. Verse 12, I'll read aloud. You read silently with me. It says, And it came to pass, when he was in a certain city, behold, a man full of leprosy, who, seeing Jesus, fell on his face and besought him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And he put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will. Be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy departed from him. And he charged him to tell no man, but go and shew thyself to the priests and offer for thy cleansing, according as Moses commanded, for a testimony unto them. But so much the more went there a fame abroad of him, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. And he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. I want you to focus on that verse 16, because that's really the crux of the message tonight. That's kind of where we'll end up in the long run. But he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. Let's go and have a word of prayer. Father, we come to you. We thank you for this time that we'll have together, just this simple time in your word. We thank you for the simplicity of the word. And we ask, Lord, that it would speak to our hearts, that, Lord, we'd be encouraged, Father, 
Now, Lord, we need you. And, Lord, we just commit the service into your hands. We ask that you would speak to us through the Word of God. May your Holy Spirit drive home truth that, Father, we might be what we ought to be for you. We need you. We love you. In Christ's name, amen. Here in the passage, of course, this is one of my favorite passages and favorite accounts. I've preached from it a bunch of times, and uh, I just enjoy the idea, the thought of this leper being healed. I love that he gets healed. I like that. And, of course, we understand that leprosy was an incurable disease. It, was, it, 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 it meant that this man was going to deal with that disease for his lifetime, that he would have to endure insurmountable ridicule, that he would be overwhelmingly intimidated and insecure in his life as a result of this, this leprosy that he had. I mean, he had a real condition, a condition that made it very difficult to face life with any kind of hope whatsoever, at least any kind of hope until he met the master. Once he met the master, he had hope again. Once he met the master, he was the burden of his, his disease was lifted off of his shoulders. And what a wonderful truth that is and what a wonderful account that is. I'm always excited when I read this particular situation and story. And again, it is an account, really. Not so much a story, but we understand what we're saying there. We have to also understand that you and I are really much like that leper, aren't we? The fact is, is that leprosy is just really a picture of our sin and our sinful state. And the fact is, is that we, like that leper, each one of us is hopelessly and helplessly cursed with an incurable disease called sin. We wake up every day of our life without hope. Constantly insecure and finding ourselves forever ridiculed by Satan, at least until the day that we meet the Master. I guess that's why I so like this account and I enjoy reading about the leper that's healed. And if I could be a little selfish, I like that it's contained in just a short passage. You get a lot there in just a few verses. Sometimes I like to read a lot of Bible. Sometimes I like to read a little bit of Bible. And really, in some cases, it just kind of depends on what state of mind I'm in at the moment. What state of spiritual state I'm in as well. There's sometimes I wake up and I may only read a few verses and I sit and ponder and think of those verses. And there's other times I just get to reading and I think, wow, I've already read a couple, two, three, four chapters. And I think, where, where'd those go? Where, who, what, what was in those? That's, that's when I get nervous and I start going, wow, you know, what's the point? Why am I reading? Am I really taking the time to think it through? And boy, I like this passage. It's short and it's sweet. And I mean, it's power packed and there's so much in it. I don't think you can read this and walk away from it without really recognizing so many things. Things about the leper, things about the Lord Jesus Christ. And tonight, I just want to focus a little bit on the Lord Jesus Christ and just see what he teaches us. Uh, maybe, I guess we could consider him a little bit in the passage. And before we end, we'll get to the crux of the matter, as I said, which is really found right there at the end of the passage. So let's go ahead and consider a couple things about the Lord. First of all, I want you to note his reputation here, his reputation in verse 12. Notice what it says here in the passage. It says simply, And it came to pass when he was in a certain city, behold, a man full of leprosy, who seeing Jesus fell on his face and besought him. You say, well, what's that have to do with his reputation? Well, I don't know. Uh, when's the last time somebody sick, ill, or in trouble came and fell at your feet? 
Obviously, his reputation preceded him. Obviously, somebody had heard about how he had healed others. Somebody had heard about how he had met the needs of others in other towns and other cities abroad. His reputation was something that preceded him. And, I mean, they knew him for what he had done. They had known him by what they had heard about him. And so, when he enters into this particular city, and he comes upon this leper who is without hope and continually burdened down by his disease, that leper can't help but say, Listen, I've heard about him. I want to get healed too. I want him to do something for me. Boy, his reputation had preceded him. You know that... You and I are known for who we are also. That our reputations precede us too. Now that can be good, can it? But it can also be bad at times. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs chapter 20 verse 11, Even a child is known by his heart. Well, wait, wait, no, that's not what it says. Turn there, would you please? I think it's important to note this. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 11. Notice it says in Proverbs 20, verse 11. Even a child is known by his doings. Whether his work be pure or whether it be right. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 33. Either make the tree good... And his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt, and his fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by his fruit. Luke chapter 6 verse 44 says, For every tree is known by his own fruit, for of thorns men do not gather figs, nor of a bramble bush gather they grapes. I'm going to tell you something, our reputation precedes us. People know who you are by the way you act and the way you live. You're not getting over because you claim to be a Christian. People note who and what you are by your actions, by your attitude, by your outlook. Your reputation precedes you. Before you head to work today, you guys could go into your work tomorrow. I could go into your workplace and say, hey, what about so-and-so? They'd say, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, that's that they do this, this and this and this and this. I mean, your reputation precedes you in places you go, things you do. If, uh, you know, you're notorious for something, it'll be certainly evident and the people will realize it and they'll recognize it. His reputation preceded him. But his reputation promoted him as well. It promoted him. Again, in this particular case, in verse 12, this man, this leprosy that had leprosy, it says, seeing Jesus fell on his face and besought him. And he said, Lord, if thou wilt, thou can make me clean. I mean, it promoted him in the eyes of that leper. It made him worthy of this man falling before him. His reputation preceded him, but it also promoted him in the eyes of those whom he now was reaching out to. How does your reputation affect the view of others in that sense? I mean, your work or in the home or possibly... Even at school, if you're a teenager or a young person, I mean, how, how is your reputation viewed? Does it elevate you? Does it promote you in the eyes of the people that you're trying to reach out to? Or does it bring you down in a sense? I mean, his reputation preceded him and it promoted him. But also his reputation permitted him an opportunity. 
Because his reputation was what it was, he now had an opportunity to do something miraculous. He had an opportunity to make an impact and a difference. Because he was who he claimed to be and he did what he did, all of a sudden now when he goes into that city, this leper sees, hears about him being there, goes out to meet the Lord Jesus Christ, and there puts himself in a position to be reached by him. This reputation permitted him opportunity. You know, when we're consistent in our attitude, we're consistent in our, our behavior, people are going to take notice. And that's going to open doors for us to witness to them. It's going to open doors for us to influence and ultimately even advise them. Nobody wants the advice of somebody that's a failure. You know, I'm going to help you with your finances. How are yours? Well, actually, I'm, you know, $35,000 in debt and I... I haven't cut my credit cards up yet and I'm still getting further in debt and I just recently purchased a nice boat and unfortunately I've got collectors ringing my doorbell all the time and calling my phone and they just repossessed my car and let me share a little bit about finances and help you. You're going to go, I don't think so. You're not the guy I really am looking for. How is it that we, if, if we're not careful, can somehow ascend to a place in our own lives where we feel we're in a position to help people spiritually when in reality, in the eyes of those that we're trying to help, they see us no differently than they see themselves. That's impossible. It's, it's not going to happen. The Lord Jesus Christ had a reputation that preceded him. He had a reputation that promoted him in the eyes of people. They said, man, this guy's everything he claims to be and so much more. You should hear what he's doing. You should see what he's done. And you got to be a part of this. This is amazing. And it permitted him opportunities to meet the need of others. It takes time, yes. Reputation is not built over a few days or months, but years and sometimes a lifetime. But it will end, it will end by giving you or providing you a platform by which to minister and instruct others, encourage others. I get a little weary if, if, if I hear negative talk about from young men when it comes to listening to older men preach the gospel. It kind of bothers me a little bit. I mean, the one thing that a young man doesn't have that an older man does have is experience and a reputation of longevity and consistency. There's something about that. Now listen, I'm going to admit, there have been times when I was in Bible college, some of the older guys were about as boring is, 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 you know, is, I mean, they were boring. I mean, they were monotone. Take your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 3, verse 27. There in the passage we find that Jesus is now. And I'm like, after 30 minutes of that, I'm like... But let me tell you something. Every time somebody like that got in a pulpit, I tried to die to this flesh and remember... How many years of faithfulness that represents in that pulpit? I tried to remember all the battles that they've had to have faced and fought to be where they are at that moment. I had to realize that they may not be the most energetic or exciting preacher I've ever heard in my life, but they had a depth to them and they had some spiritual, some rooting and foundation that I needed in my life. They may have been boring as far as a speaker is concerned. They didn't scream and yell, maybe. They didn't do... Cart, uh, you know, cartwheels on the stage. They didn't hop around and jump up and down. They didn't do all those things, maybe. But boy, they 
offered me something I needed. They had a reputation. They'd lived a long life. They served the Lord Jesus uncompromisingly. I need to hear from them. So I died of this old flesh that says, you need someone to entertain you. And I said, no, I need somebody to instruct me. To ultimately inspire me for God. To one day be able to stand where they are 40, 50 years later. I was driving home the other day. We were coming back from visitation on a Tuesday night, just this past Tuesday. And I still remember I I was talking to my wife and we were coming home. And I said, you realize how many years we've been doing this nonstop? We got to thinking about it. You realize I've been doing Tuesday night visitation for 35 years. Long before I was ever a pastor at Community Baptist Temple, I was out every Tuesday night. Almost 35 years. 30 to 35 years I've been doing this. And it just caught me as I'm driving home that night. I'm looking, I said, you realize how many Tuesday nights we've been out? How many years it's been? You know, years ago it was just me. Then it was me and my wife. Then it was me, my wife, and my children. Then it was me and my wife and a couple of my kids. Then it was me and my wife, and the kids didn't go on Tuesday. They just went on Saturdays and bus visiting and all the stuff they do. And now it's just me and her again. And one day, it'll be one or the other probably. All by themselves again. At least if I stay faithful. Where will you be in five years? Where will you be in ten years? I didn't need a paycheck to go out Tuesday nights. I did that because that's what I do. I'm a Christian. I believe it's important to share the truth with others. I don't always do it as well as I ought to, and I don't always as consistent as I should be other than those nights. Sometimes I find myself walking right past people during my lifetime. Right past them. And for that, I'm guilty. But God helped me not to do that like I, you know, not to be that way. But in the end, my question is, where will we be in five years? Will you even be in church? You want to build a reputation for being faithful, then you're going to have to do it not just for a month or two. Not even for a year or two. You're going to have to do it for a lifetime. Will you be faithful a lifetime? Well, you make up your mind now that in 10 years, I'll still be here. In 20 years, I'll still be here. In 30 years, I'll still be here. Lord Terry's is coming. I'm going to be faithful to God. And if this church burns to the ground, or if this pastor goes off down the deep end, or if this ministry just implodes, then listen, I'll be somewhere serving Jesus Christ faithfully with or without the rest of them. You've got to get to the place where your reputation is important and your reputation for faithfulness. His reputation, Lord Jesus Christ, man, I mean to tell you, his reputation preceded him. It, it promoted him and ultimately permitted him the opportunities that he had to minister. Your family are there, aren't they? Some of your family know. If they got in trouble, they're calling you, right? Because you're, you're, you're the one that prays. Your family finds themselves in a tough spot. They're saying, hey, can you go talk to Uncle So-and-so? I don't know if he's saved. You know, that's, that's your reputation preceding you. That's your reputation promoting you. That's your reputation permitting you opportunities, see? 
Keep it up. Don't quit now. That's only going to grow as you stay faithful to God. Number two, note the Lord's response in verse 13. I love how he responds to this leper. Because you've got to understand, leprosy was something that was incurable. So the people, I mean, let's face it, the leper had to go across the street. The leper couldn't be in the same village or city. The leper was isolated and separated because of his leprosy. Notice Jesus, how he responds, verse 13. The Bible says, and he put forth his hand and touched him. I still remember the first time I touched somebody that had AIDS. I still remember it. It's plain as day. It was way back in the day, years ago. Back when AIDS first started really coming on the scene and they, they started saying, man, they didn't know exactly how it was transmitted. You know, they thought it was through blood, but they weren't sure if it could be transmitted through, through like kissing or and all those kind of things, through spit and, or through the air. They were still a little bit, they weren't sure exactly. And I remember somebody came to me and said, hey, I've got this fellow that I know and, and uh, he's, uh, I was a family member of someone. And they said, would you go visit him? Preacher, I want to warn you, though, he's got AIDS. And I said, all right. I still remember going to the hospital because he was having a a relapse and a problem with that particular disease. And his immune system had crashed. And so I went into the the, the room there where he was staying. And I remember to this day, I still remember as plain as day, walking up to him. And I said, hey, how you doing? My name is Mark O'Donnell. I'm the pastor of Community Baptist. I know so-and-so. And they told me you're in here. And I wanted to come by with you and pray with you and introduce myself. And I reached my hand out and I shook his hand. You should have seen him. He was almost like, you really want to shake my hand? Because it wasn't like it is now, folks. I'm telling you, it was different. Now listen, I'm not Jesus, okay? Don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. But I did trust Jesus to keep me from getting AIDS. Because I knew somebody needed a touch. They didn't just need a word. And there's a leper here that's having a rough time and a difficult time. And again, I understand there are times you have to be very careful and you can't necessarily. The other day I went in to see one of our church members and Brother Ray was having some issues with some pneumonia, uh, some um, the flu stuff. And he's having problems with his his um, his uh, CO2 levels and certain things. And when I got to the 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 room there at the ICU, it said that, you know, you need to wear a mask. Now, there was a day when I was a little younger and I thought I was invincible and I probably just went, ah, who cares? But I put the mask on. I didn't want the flu. Nor did I want to get anything else. I put the mask on. I walked in the room. I said, brother, and immediately somebody, one of his family was there without a mask on. And I thought, great, he's going to think I'm a real wimp. So I said, they told me I had to put a mask on. And the lady that was there, I think it was a sister, she said, oh, I probably ought to get one too then. And she went out and got one. Now listen, so I'm not invincible and I understand those kind of things. I wasn't planning on giving him a big kiss anyway, so no problem, right? But sometimes there needs to be a touch. It's not enough to just give a word. And notice Jesus Christ here. He responds with a personal touch. He put forth his hand and he touched him. There is nothing that reaches the soul more than the personal touch. And I'm not just talking about just just with a a physical touch. I'm just talking about we've got to reach out and touch lives. 
We don't find, you can't just sit in this room and make an impact and a difference in a world which we live. You gotta go out where they're at and you gotta talk to them, you gotta meet their needs, you gotta try to help them, you gotta reach out and say, somebody loves you, and you may not know the God that I know, and he may, you may not know that he loves you like I know he loves you, but I want you to know I do. Boy, that makes a difference. You know, I could eat a box of mac and cheese. You know how that is. You can buy that cheap stuff. You just whip it up real quick. But I sure like it made from scratch with plenty of Velveeta in it. I love that heart attack cheese. Mac and cheese. I mean, that's the personal touch, right? I mean, you make it, you know, you, you have it homemade. You know, there's loving hands putting all that cheese in there. I wonder if my wife recently has looked at my life insurance policies and thought it's time to give him plenty of mac and cheese. I, I don't know which it is. I, but almost everything's better homemade. And may I say that we touch people with our lives and we touch people in a very personal way. And Jesus responded in that personal touch. And may I say there are times, by the way, husbands, you need to touch your wives without any other expectations. And, and ladies, you need to touch your husbands and children, your parents, we need to touch our kids. And there needs to be some interaction. There needs to be physical touch at times. And again, we live in a culture and we live in a society where, man, it's so taboo. You're so afraid to touch anybody because you're afraid that this will happen or that will happen. And you'll be accused of this or accused of that. And you do have to be very careful today. I get it. I mean, our workers are not encouraged to be hugging on the boys and girls. We don't do that. We don't encourage that. Why? Because we just don't need any kind of, you know. So we try not to. It's one thing for a lady to hug a girl as a whole, you know. But, man, this thing with boys and men and everything today, it's so, so major, such a big deal right now. And one accusation could just destroy your home, your life, your family. It's unbelievable what's going on. Some of it extremely warranted, by the way. Necessary, even. But sadly enough, I heard somebody talking the other day. It was a, particularly, it was a gay man. He claims that this whole basis for uh, this movement for the ladies doing what they're doing, you know, really going after men that are doing this and doing that, they're trying to demasculatize men. It's a gay man talking. They're trying to get rid of the male race. That's what he said. I thought of all men to say that. Isn't that something? He said testosterone will always demand that there will always be problems in this area because of testosterone. And it doesn't matter how hard these women are trying, they'll never get rid of of, of men. But let me tell you something. They will get rid of real men. And they're trying to destroy real men. You know that guy who, how many of you grew up in a culture, grew up in the culture where the girl did not ask the guy out, the guy asked the girl out? How many of you grew up in that culture? Yeah. Oh boy, today, man, they've got our boys running scared. Don't talk to me. That's, if I wanted you to advance toward me, I would have asked you. I mean, that's the kind of stuff. So guess what you guys get to do? You get to crawl into a corner and be all sheepish and not, I I think I like her, but I don't want to approach her because... I, I don't want to get in trouble. I want to be, I don't want to get, I, I don't want to be, uh, just be a man, all right? You let the cards fall where they call, fall, but you be respectful to women and you 
treat them like they ought to be treated, and I think you'll find it'll be all right. But I think any real woman enjoys the fact that a guy appreciates her and says, hey, listen, I, you know, I'm not a weirdo, but I would like to go out with you, and I'm not married, by the way. <laughs> and then if she says no, then listen to her. My goodness, it's crazy when people don't listen to people. But nonetheless, he responded with a personal touch. He responded with a passionate touch in that sense. I mean, you think about it. It's just saying, I will be thou clean. He was passionate about what he did. He had a, a compassion for people even. The Bible says in Matthew nine thirty six. but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because he fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Jesus was always compassionate. And he saw this leper and he saw something that others did not see. They saw someone that threatened their way of life. They saw someone that could have passed on this horrible disease. They saw somebody that threatened their family, their children, their life. But no, not Jesus. He didn't see that. He saw somebody in tremendous need. He saw somebody that was hurting. He saw somebody that needed a touch. How many times do we drive by those fellows or ladies that are standing on the side of the road and we kind of just, eh, wasting your time with a stupid sign, go out and get a job, mister. Now listen, I'm not saying they shouldn't get jobs. I'm not saying some of them can't work. But I'm saying this. Okay, you may not want to give them money because you're afraid of what they'll use the money for. And you're not compelled nor are you being told by the Holy Spirit to do that. That's fine. Don't do that then. But the point being is this. What's our attitude though? What's our heart? Do we have any compassion at all? Not you say, well, they get what they deserve. No, you don't get what I'm saying then. Because listen, sometimes people just make bad choices and it leads them to bad places. And the truth is, it could be one of us if it were not for the grace of God. I'm not saying you got to send them five bucks or give them a dollar. I don't care. But why is it that we would scowl at them? Why is it that we would rip them? Why is it that we would be so angry at them? They've done nothing to hurt us. I, I don't know. I'm just... I'm just saying, where's the Christ-like compassion for people? I don't think Jesus went around trying to condone sin and trying to, you know, make it right. And he said that a man that doesn't provide for his family is worth as an infidel. I get it. I got that. But let me tell you something. There were plenty of people that were suffering and hurting that he did show compassion toward. And may I say, when he looks at mankind, he has compassion on mankind, whether it's their own fault or whether it's some other reason. I'm glad he had compassion on me. I dug my own hole. But God still said, I love you and I have compassion for you. Isn't that a wonderful thing? A personal touch, a, a passionate touch. He had a powerful touch. And I mean to tell you, and immediately the leprosy departed from him. Immediately. That's, that's something. I mean, power was not something that Jesus was ever short on, by the way. He never had a problem with power. Can I tell you why? And you're gonna, I know your answer, but let me tell you really why. You, most people would answer, because he's God. Well, he's God. It's kind of like the Sunday school kid. How come Jesus has so much power? God. You know how it is. You know how kids are. Or they'll say Jesus. You know, every answer. You know, who dresses up in red and, you know, has a funny nose and Jesus. And you're like, dude, what are you talking about? I'm not even talking... You know, I mean, it's just kids are funny like that, you know, because they're in church. So they assume if I say that ten times, I'll be right at least six. <clears throat> but the real reason that Jesus had power was the Holy Spirit. He operated function in the power of the Holy Ghost. Guess what you have today? The Holy Spirit. That's what I have, too. 
Boy, we can function and we can operate in power. We can respond with power. We can, we can touch that personal touch and have that passionate touch and have a powerful touch because we have the same power source, Jesus Christ, the, in the person of the Holy Ghost. Now, note his request now. I tell you what, I'm going to skip on the request. I want to get right to the crux of the matter because of time. Let's skip to verse 15 and 16. Let's read that now. But so much the more went there a fame abroad of him, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. Now, again, notice what's happening here. Here he is. Now, he, he, he even tells in verse 14, he says, you know, tell no man, but you do go show yourself to the priest and offer for thy cleansing according to Moses commanded, as Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. God, he does want them of course, talking about these priests and so forth. He wants them to know who he is. He wants them to understand his power, his rightful place as Messiah, all of that. But he's saying, don't go around spreading it around to other people. Let's keep that between us. I'll be revealed in time. Hold on. But that's not how it ever works, is it? Every time in the scriptures, what we find is that more people hear about it. You can't keep that secret. You can't keep that under wraps. You can't bury that or hide that under a bushel. No way. There's no way. Jesus Christ just healed a leper. Even if the leper doesn't, leper doesn't tell anybody, others that saw it will. I mean, they're going everywhere telling people about what Jesus has done. And man, say, if I'm a leper in that day and age, I'm traveling 30 miles across the rough terrain to get to Jesus in the next city. I want to meet this guy. I want to get something handled because I, want to, I don't want to be separated from my family any longer. So anyway, all these people start coming out to see him. So much the more went there a fame abroad of him, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. I don't know. Let's ask the question tonight. Let's just think about this for a minute. Let's say that even in the confines of this building tonight, somebody came in with an incurable disease called cancer, stage four cancer. They've been helped by the doctors as far as the doctors can. They've taken all the radiation, they've taken all the chemo, and they say you just literally have just four weeks to live. They walk in, and I heal them. I say, you know what? Your cancer is gone! And they go. A month later, they're still here. Two months later, they're still here. Three months later, they're still here. They go back to the doctor and they get a report. The cancer is gone. No evidence at all that there's any cancer in their body whatsoever. Perfectly healthy report. Let me ask you something. It happened within the confines of this building right here. This folks, right? I wonder how many, how quickly would it be? How soon would it be before there would be hundreds of people with stage four cancer lining up at the door to come see me? And you're the only ones that would tell them. I'd say, don't tell anybody. And you'd go, are you kidding? I've got an aunt that's got cancer. I've got a brother that's got cancer. I've got a mom that's got cancer. Okay, I won't tell everybody, but I'm going to at least tell them. I'm bringing them next Sunday. How long would it be before I could not even stand up here and preach? There'd be so many people following the eyes trying to get to me just to heal me. Just touch me, preacher. Just touch me, preacher. Just touch me, preacher. I want healed. I want healed. I'll give you anything you want. I've got money. I've got houses. I've got anything. Just heal me. Just heal me. Just heal me. How busy would I be?
That's how Jesus was dealing. That, I mean, he was being overwhelmed with people. I mean, multitudes, the Bible says. Multitudes. You think your schedule's busy. I think my schedule's busy. Can you imagine how busy Jesus was? So as a result, I want to note his rest. His rest. His rest was prompted by his schedule. I mean, his schedule was outrageous. He was busy night and day. I can only imagine being able to heal people. I mean, the God of heaven on earth now, making an impact and a difference in lives. He had no time to himself. His life was spent serving others. He gave himself without reservation in order to meet the needs and to be a blessing to others. His rest was of necessity. He had to have rest. He had to do that. But he, he was flesh, right? He still was flesh. He had to have rest. And I can hardly imagine that... I can only imagine, I should say, that he probably had to be next to exhaustion. So he had to have rest. But his rest provided needed solitude. Now, I want you to see what happens here. Here he is now. All these people, multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. And he withdrew himself to the amusement park. He went to the amusement park. Get away. Is that what it says? No. He removed himself. I mean, to go down to some tourist trap where there were tons of people trying to dig into his pockets and get whatever was left. The Bible says he withdrew himself into the wilderness. What does the wilderness say to you? It says solitude. It says solitude. It doesn't say activity. It doesn't say people. It says solitude. Everyone who spent time or is spent for others will need to find rest. And this rest is found in solitude. Activity is a poor substitute for rest. If people are the reason for your weariness, then spending time with people will not bring you rest. We say, boy, I need a vacation because I'm so weary with work and responsibility. So what do we do? We vacation at a, tour tra- a tourist trap. We maneuver through traffic and the stress and, and stress over dinner, where we're going to spend it each night. And there's just, what do we do now? What do we do here? We're over here. What do we do? Yeah, that's relaxing. Then we get back from vacation and say, man, I just need to rest. You ever felt that way? Now, there's nothing wrong with going on vacation to a place where you can act, be active. But don't tell me that you are weary with working with people and dealing with situations that are overwhelming and stressful. But yet, more stress is the answer. 
That's not. Jesus shows us an example, gives us an example here of how we're to deal with the stress of the ministry, how we're to deal with the stress of people in our lives and relationships in our lives, how to deal with the world in which we live. The Bible says that Jesus withdrew himself into the wilderness. Not only that, but I want you to note what else he did. It says here, he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. Not only did he need solitude, but that rest also promoted needed supplication in his life. Prayer. Jesus needed rest, so you know what he did? He got alone and prayed. That's what Jesus did to rest. Now that's a novel idea today. Sadly enough, I don't think it's really thought of that awfully much. When's the last time you were so tired you could hardly stand it? You could hardly stand it. When's the last time you found yourself overwhelmed with the cares of this life and felt the burden of weariness and stress upon you? I mean, think about that. When you feel that way in life, when you feel that way, more than a movie, more than a nice dinner or time with the family, you need time alone in prayer. We are so busy that relaxing today is watching movies full of action. So we veg out in front of a television watching things that are stressful sometimes. Engaging in other people's problems. I'm I'm just saying, if I'm really wore out and I'm really tired... Watching a movie does not make me feel rested. My mind is still spinning after the movie. Life is still overwhelming me after the movie. The burden is still there after the movie. The phone call still coming in after the movie. Life hasn't changed a bit for me and my perspective hasn't changed. The movie didn't fix anything. I'm telling you, biblically speaking, from what I can tell, Jesus, when he was overwhelmed with the work of God, he simply went out into the wilderness, and the Bible says he prayed. I am not against a good movie. I love good movies. I certainly enjoy being with my family. I love doing things with my family. I like playing ball with my family. And I like going on hikes with my family. And I enjoy just being with my family. I like sitting around the dinner table and eating. I think many families would be much better off if they took the time to just sit around a dinner table. You may not be able to do it every night of the week. It was impossible in my life. But boy, every opportunity I could, I made sure I could be there for that. Listen to me, I'm just telling you that those things are wonderful, but they in and of themselves do not bring rest, not spiritual rest. You don't have to get away from necessarily for days or weeks at a time either. Jesus didn't. 
It might just be for a night. It might just be for a few hours. It might just be in the morning. It could be in the afternoon or evening. The wilderness and prayer have no equal for providing rest, though. Next time you're really wore out from the work of God and the work in life, the next time the bills are building up and the next time the burden is so great, the next time relational issues and problems in the family and maybe not even your immediate but extended family even begin to weigh heavy on you, instead of saying, you know, I need a break. I just need to watch a show. Just maybe you might want to take a walk around your block and think about him and how big he is. And say, Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do. I can't take all this right now. It's too heavy. But you can. You can help me. Man, just get with Him. Get alone with Him. Don't fight. Have to fight the television or fight the sound of the kids screaming and yelling and running through the house and deal with all the phones ringing and everything else. Don't, don't let that happen. Get away. Get into a place of solitude. And then endure, and then go ahead and start to enjoy some supplication with God. Jesus had just fed 5,000. And again we read in Matthew 14, 23. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. Alone. Boy, we've got to learn to get alone with God. How much of our devotions is wasted time? You know, we say, I have devotions every day. How much of it's wasted because it's really not Him we're focusing on? Why don't you try something sometime? Why don't you just stop asking God for something for you and your family? And just say, God, all I want to do is just Get in your presence. That's all I want to do. I just want to know you. I just want to be with you right now. Clear my mind, Lord. Don't allow my mind to wander and deal with all the troubles and all the cares. I just want to come to you. Lord, I need you right now. I need you. Not my wife. Not my family. Not my, my ministry. I need you. And I mean away from all the clutter... Don't take your phone with you. Don't take your iPad. Don't hang out in a room with a computer. Don't be in a room where you can hear the television. Don't do that. Find some place that you can get by yourself. If that means getting up at 3 in the morning, then get up at 3 in the morning. Jesus didn't get the rest he needed, but he found rest in what? Solitude and supplication. Ladies, don't fall into the trap of believing that you're too busy to get alone with God. Well, I've got kids, and you don't understand. My husband wakes up early to go to work, and so, you know, he makes his own breakfast. I don't get out of bed, of course, but, any, you know, that was a real dart I was trying to throw it at you. You ought to make your husband breakfast, ladies, especially if you're a stay-at-home mom. You ought to be doing that. I don't care if he gets up at 5 in the morning. He should tell you, don't. I don't want it. Go to bed. You say, preacher, you have no right telling us how to function. I'm just telling you, your husband would appreciate the fact that you're willing to do that. Even if he doesn't want you to. For years, she didn't get up and make breakfast for me because I told her, I don't eat breakfast. I'm too busy. I don't have time for breakfast. I've got to go, got to go, got to go, got to go. That was stupid. 
But anyway, but anyway, I'm just saying, you might have to get up a little earlier before others get up, ma'am or sir. You may have to get up before others get up. You may have to do without a little sleep, but you're going to need that solitude and supplication if you truly want to find real rest. How many of you have ever gone to sleep and you woke up with the burden still there? <laughs> yeah. Do you know the only thing that will get rid of the burden? Solitude and supplication. Jesus gives us an example. I just want to encourage you tonight to really just think about what it is you need more than anything else when it comes to rest. What you need is solitude and supplication. Prayer. You've got to get with God. Just you and Him. He is the answer. He's the answer. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, that you just help us tonight. Just a simple thought tonight, Lord, from your word.